Well, good morning once again. Y'all could say it's all good, man. Like, you know, whatevs, man. All right, here we go. It's too late. All right, so my name is Marco. I'm the, I serve as the preaching and, and the teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It is a joy for me to be here, and uh, I really missed y'all last week. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. Uh, as you heard Tony read through the scripture, we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 2 this morning. We're looking at verses 37 to 41. So as you open or load your Bible, I just got a couple of quick announcements for you or updates. The first one is, uh, if you're new, we'd love to hang out with you. We want to take you out to lunch. We want to take you out to coffee. So, so fill out a Connect card. They're on the chairs and also in the Connect desk. Drop it off in the Connect desk. We'll reach out to you to set something up because we really want to hang. In addition to that, if you don't have a Bible, we want to hook you up with a Bible. And those Bibles are also in the Connect desk and on the chair. So please take one with you, whether it's to hook someone up um, or because you don't have one. Coming up next is uh, parents. Just a quick reminder, those of you who have, uh, I guess kids, young adults, who are uh, junior high and in high school, we're going to be having a quick parent-student-parent meeting uh, up on the second floor for about 15, 20 minutes tops, and it's really to uh, give you uh, the rundown on our student ministry that is regathering this fall, technically starting uh, next week. And so we're just going to give you kind of an overview of what to expect and where we're headed. But I also want to introduce our student leaders so that you can ask them questions and they can tell you uh, what, what we have going on. So those are really the updates. The other thing I wanted to mention was last week, uh, Pastor Jeff Neal from Harlingen came over and, and preached here in McAllen and did a phenomenal job. I love Hefe. He is a great friend. He has discipled me and encouraged me, and I always love it when Hefe comes over. Um, in addition to that, uh, I think in the video I had made the comment that I was taking time off, and so thank you for letting me take time off. I wasn't taking time off. Uh, I think I was just filling the space because I was nervous on that video. Uh, but the, uh, the truth is, uh, I was in San Benito. Uh, my wife and I, and actually Tony, came with us to San Benito. Uh, and we, I don't know what that is, dude. Um, anyway, so uh, we went to San Benito because Logos Community Church in Harlingen planted a church in San Benito. And uh, <clears throat> so I went over there to, to preach to that church plant, and it was really cool because it brought back a bunch of memories uh, from back in the old days of the Bat Cave. Some of you know what that is. Some of you don't. Uh, uh, moving in here. Anyway, it was really cool. It was really cool to preach to them, but also have Hefe preach here in McAllen. So that's all I had. Wanted to clear that up so that we can move forward. Uh, once more, we're in Acts 2. 37 to 41 this morning. And if you notice behind me, uh, we're starting a new sermon series uh, this morning on the church where we're going to be examining a fine chunk of Acts 2 over uh, the next three weeks as we consider three things, the, the heart of the church, the life of the church, and finally, the mission of the church. And uh, just to bring you up to speed, I have five reasons as to why we're spending three weeks examining the church. And so the first is because we live in an age of distraction. 
And it's a good idea, and I don't just mean that in terms of social media and digital content, but we're regularly distracted. And it's a good idea to fit some time throughout the year to be reminded of who the church is. Secondly, our schedules tend to be filled very, very quickly. Uh, Over the last couple of weeks, I've talked with some of you, and I've noticed that for for myself and you, it's been, it's, it has felt like a while, like it's been a while since we've had a real fall semester, and it was really surprising uh, at how quickly everything fills up, from Friday night lights to events to meetings to work schedules. Everything fills up very, very quickly, and it's a good idea to, to re-examine what the life of the church is and what it means, because most often, Church, or specifically the Sunday gathering, is what comes off of the schedule first. When those schedules get really filled, the Sunday morning gathering tends to be what goes first. Thirdly, we are flooded with headlines and hashtags and here and now posts on social media that it's easy to forget what our primary mission is as a church. Everything beckons your attention on your newsfeed, on your social media accounts. And so it's good for us to regroup and to recalibrate so that we would be back on mission. Fourthly, Jesus loves his church. That's why we're doing a series on the church, because Jesus loves his church. And it is through the church that he has chosen to reveal himself. Fifthly, we want to embrace the message, that is, the message of the gospel. We want to grow in maturity, and we want to create movement. We want to put that on the table and just lay our cards out on the table that through this series, my hope, my prayer, is that there would be movement created. There is this meme on social media, speaking of distractions, there's this meme on social media where it's this individual who is running and it says me processing 2020 and someone chasing them and it says 2022 in four months, right? And so the idea behind that is uh, not just the meme itself, but the reason I, I bring up 2020 is because, again, laying things out on the table, in 2020, Christians fell asleep. Christians fell asleep. Many Christians, and that might be you, fell asleep in hopes that 2021 would be different. And the truth is, some of you are still asleep. See, 2020 exposed idols and exposed our hearts. It really did expose who and what we worship, not just what we thought was important, but who and what we worshiped. And the truth is, as we have walked through 2021, these idols are still being praised, whether it would be through social issues, political ideology, and you would say, oh, those are the loudest ones, but what about comfort? What about consumerism? What about convenience? 
those idols are still being praised in our churches across the country, and we are not exempt from that. For a season, circumstances led us to host service online. We even titled it creatively. We called it a digital liturgy. But we also were very honest about reducing our digital presence as the year closed because there's no such thing as an online gathering. You can't attend something online. You can check in, but you don't attend something online. And it's not that churches shouldn't provide that content. And it's not that churches shouldn't provide means to, a different means to hear the gospel. But the truth is, some of that feeds our comfort. Some of that feeds our convenience and our consumerism. Because if I don't like the worship set, I can just fast forward to the sermon. If I don't like the sermon, I could just ignore that and listen to the worship set. So now church is about me. We started this year with a push on discipleship for theological development and community and relationships, and we continue to do that. We continue to do that today. Therefore, before we dive into our text, let me ask you a question. What is the church? What is the church? See, quite frankly, people will have varying answers to this question, and it applies to the church herself. What is the church? Is it this, church, is it this building? No, this is the McAllen Incubator. Is the church potluck dinners? No, that's just a dinner where you bring stuff. Is the church where people hang out? Maybe. There's nothing wrong with any of these answers per se, but they still don't answer the question of what is the church? In short, the church is a community of believers who have been redeemed by Christ, who gather to worship Jesus, and who scatter to herald Jesus. The church is a community of believers who have been redeemed by Christ, who gather to worship Christ, and who scatter to herald Christ. That's what the church, that's who the church is, and in part, that's what the church does. It is this gospel proclamation that God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ and lived the life that you and I cannot live and died the death that you and I deserve to die in our place, on our behalf, on the cross, for our sin, and then freely offers us the grace of salvation that you and I cannot earn. It is the message that the church heralds. The church is all about Jesus because if we are not all about Jesus, then we're not a church. We're a social club. We're a therapy group. We're a community program. 
Additionally, as the church, as mentioned just now, as the church, we have one message. Now, I'm not talking about method. I'm talking about message. We have one message. The church has always had one message, and it is this message that is at the heart of the church, and that is the message and proclamation of Christ crucified. That is the message, the only message that the church proclaims, Christ crucified. And if you've been with us for a long time, or if you've been with us for a short time, you have seen us experience change. You have seen us need to improve in different areas or ministries or even change things and do something different in the way in we operate. And the truth is, that's going to continue. I'm just going to be totally honest with you because we're still growing, we're still learning. That's going to happen. However, the one thing that will never change is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that will never change, the proclamation of Jesus Christ. So let me pray for our time, and then we will dig into this uh, sermon or the, the, the text. Uh, and as I pray, particularly if you're a teacher or a student, man, I want to pray for you. I know many of you started school classes, maybe sometimes, uh, some of you up to three weeks ago. Uh, I know McAllen just started this past week, and so it's been a, a heavy dose of a lot of stuff uh, over the last couple of weeks. And so, man, I want to pray for y'all as I pray for our time. So, man, join me in prayer. Lord, as we examine your word, As we examine your word, Lord, my prayer is that, is that your word would be sweeter than honey. God, I pray for the comfort of your grace. But also I pray for, through your grace, to be convicted. I pray for, um, by your grace, that our hearts would be thankful. And by your grace, we would desire to look to you. God, I pray for those who know Jesus and that they would come to know Jesus better this morning. That those who don't know Jesus uh, would come to know him this morning. God, I pray for our teachers and our students who have either been at school for a while or just started classes uh, a week ago. I pray that teachers and students would be, would be watchful, that they would be loving to their peers, to their students, to their friends, but also, Lord, I pray that you would watch over them, that you would protect them, but that you would still be at work in them. I'm so thankful for our teachers and our students. God, in this time, my prayer is that you would be glorified and that we would be sanctified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to begin in verse 37. Uh, and our time is going to consist of three areas. We're going to look at the message of the gospel, the effects of the gospel, and then the gifts of the gospel. 
And in order to provide a little bit of context on verse 37, I'd actually like like to back up to verse 22. And we're going to jump through this fairly quickly. To give you a little bit of context, at this time in Acts, Jesus has ascended back into heaven. He has communicated to his disciples that they will be uh, witnesses of him to all of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And that's in chapter 1. And finally, that they were to wait for the coming of God the Holy Spirit, who would descend to dwell and um, dwell in them and empower them to preach and proclaim Christ crucified. That's what Pentecost means. It is the descension of the Holy Spirit as he empowered and you see as he empowered the disciples, and you see people come to faith in Christ Jesus, and the early church explodes in a good way. It starts, I should say. In this section, going back to verse 22, Peter preaches a powerful sermon without pulling any punches. And that's what I love about it. So beginning in verse 22, and I'm just going to give you highlights instead of running through the whole thing. Beginning in verse 22, Peter opens by uh, telling the people who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He says, men of Israel, hear this word, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So Peter opens up by telling them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Additionally, in verse 23, he transitions to telling them what Jesus came to do. And without, again, pulling punches, he gives them their sin. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So this is what Jesus came to do. This was his mission. This is what he came into uh, human history to do. Comma, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he explains this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is what you did. And he transitions once more by proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus and then quoting Psalm 16. And then after he's done quoting Psalm 16, he pulls a little bit of biblical theology and goes back to the time of King David. That's in verse 29. And as he begins to walk them through the time of King David leading up to the time of Jesus, he quotes once more Psalm 110, concluding with the glory of God in Christ and their sin. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. As Peter concludes his sermon, we come to our text. We come to verse 37. And this is where Luke writes, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. We're going to focus on the word this in this portion. What did they hear? They heard the message of the gospel. They didn't hear tips on how to live their best life now. They didn't hear some heretical message with Scripture sprinkled around it to make it sound good and clever. There wasn't an abuse of the Scriptures. 
Rather, they heard what we would call an expositional sermon, a gospel-centered sermon where preacher, or excuse me, where Peter addresses them from Scripture to say what Scripture says, to reveal to them who God is and what God has done and their sin. At the heart of the church is a message to be proclaimed. And this message is the beauty and splendor and glory of God in Christ. And we do this in three areas, three spheres of our lives. First one is we do this corporately. That's that's why we're here this morning to proclaim the message of the gospel. We do this through expositional preaching where we go that verse by verse. We do this through gospel-centered singing and prayer. Let Let me just be really, really clear. Worship is not just when the band is up here. All that we do here is worship. We gather to worship Jesus. We gather to do this by examining his word. Christ-centered preaching, when you compare it to what Peter just said, Christ-centered preaching proclaims doctrine before our feelings. Our feelings are important. I mean, we've done sermons on emotions, so I'm not knocking emotions. Our feelings are important. But if we allow them to lead us and guide us and drive us, then we will manipulate the Scriptures. Christ-centered preaching proclaims doctrine first, then our feelings. Christ-centered preaching exalts Jesus. See, when we're up here and we get to preach Jesus and Jesus crucified, it's not marketing tips. It's not savvy examples about the culture so that we would be relevant. It's so that we would exalt Jesus. Christ-centered preaching preaches the glory of God on display. And that is that God saves sinners and reconciles them to himself. And this is most beautifully demonstrated in Peter's sermon. Who was Peter? He was the one who denied Jesus three times. The one who said that he would die for him and he wouldn't let anything happen to him. And then hours later, he bounces and he bails and denies Jesus three times and on the third time locks eyes with Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about Peter in a little bit. But Christ-centered preaching preaches the glory of God on display. And that is that God saves sinners and reconciles them to himself. Listen, Sunday matters because the church, that's you, not this building. Remember, this is the McAllen Incubator. Sunday matters because the church is the fruit of the resurrection of Jesus. The church is the fruit of the resurrection of Jesus. When we gather, we gather to worship. Not just listen to songs. We gather to worship Jesus. 
So this message that is proclaimed, it begins here as we gather as the church. This message that is to be heralded by the church is done publicly and personally. It's done publicly and our job is to make disciples of Jesus, going from the message to movement. Where you are is where you have been sent. You are a herald of the gospel. What is it that you preach? Now, check it. I'm not asking about what is it that you preach in terms of what you're doing. I'm asking what is it that you preach in terms of what you're speaking. The message of the gospel is something that impacts us personally as we mature as a disciple of Jesus by preaching the gospel to ourselves, growing in our sanctification and pursuing holiness and righteousness. Those are the three spheres that we, at the very minimum, see the gospel being proclaimed corporately, publicly, and personally. The message of the gospel must be preserved according to Scripture and proclaimed according to Scripture. That's what Peter does in Acts 2. He preaches according to Scripture. He preaches by preserving Scripture and proclaims according to Scripture. If we, as the church, do not proclaim the gospel, then we're saying that the gospel is old news, not good news. And I'm talking about proclaiming. Because I know many Christians would be like, right, you know, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's dumb, okay? Let me just flat out, that's dumb, period. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. You're going to go proclaim and practice. I'm not knocking it, but the way in which we do it is by proclaiming. Like most of the time, in fact, 99% of the time, that quote is taken out of context. That's number one. Number two, it's taken out of context so that Christians, like ourselves, would justify not actually proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, when we don't proclaim the gospel, we run the risk of assuming the gospel. And we assume that others are going to see the gospel. My neighbor knows that I go to church. That should be enough. My kids know that I'm a Christian because I go to church and I'm, I'm in a community group. I serve once every six months as a greeter right? Uh, my friends and my coworkers know that I'm a Christian because, uh, you know, I got this sticker on my car, and uh, I got my name tattooed in Hebrew, and I have forgiven written tattooed in Greek. They, they know. They know. No, they don't, okay? What that is, is an assumption. You're assuming that they know the gospel, you're assuming that just because you have these flashy things, they actually know that you're a Christian. Just put it, that's not proclamation. Right? That's not proclamation. That's an assumption of the gospel. And the more we embrace assumption, the more we embrace assumption, the closer we get to losing the gospel. And when we lose the gospel, we're still disciples we're just not disciples of Jesus. 
at the heart of the church is the message and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you read in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This, what they heard, was the proclamation of Jesus and Jesus crucified. As we continue and stay in verse 37, we move on to the effect of the gospel. And here's what I love about Peter's sermon. The people interrupt Peter. Still in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, we know they interrupted Peter, Right, Because in verse 40, it says, uh, Luke writes, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. All right, so that's why we preach lengthy sermons, because it's biblical. Anyway, and so, and so what we see here right, is we see that the, Peter in, uh, the people interrupt Peter because they were cut to the heart. Now, the question that they ask, I, I think, is wonderful. So let's look at it. They said to Peter, they said to Peter and the, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's a beautiful question. It's a beautiful question because it's one of brokenness and vulnerability. You see, in Peter's sermon, as he's quoting scripture and pointing them to Jesus, their sin is laid out before them. You see, in this moment, they realize that they crucified and killed God. And though Jesus has ascended into heaven, they are thinking, could there be grace for me? Could this same Jesus forgive me? Could this Jesus actually give me unmerited favor? Could this Jesus provide forgiveness? Could this Jesus actually remove my guilt? And so let's look back at what the Holy Spirit does through the proclamation of the gospel. Still verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is to say a few things. Apart from Jesus saving sinners, hearts are always hardened, darkened, blackened, and we are spiritually dead in our sin. Yet, the message of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit cuts through hearts that are made of stone. Listen to the author of Hebrews. This is Hebrews 4.12. He says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Elsewhere in Ezekiel, God says, I will take your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will pour my spirit into you. So when they ask the question, as Peter is preaching the gospel to them, I want you to notice that Peter doesn't waste any time in answering them. 
Peter doesn't respond by saying, after they ask, what shall we do? Peter doesn't respond by saying, you should really think about it and figure out what you want to do. Peter doesn't pull the Sunday Christian, hey, I'll pray for you. It's a good question. I'll pray for you. Peter doesn't respond by telling them, you should probably talk to someone. Have you considered posting this on Facebook? Instead, Peter calls them to repentance. He calls them to repentance. That is a change of direction. He's essentially telling them to turn from their sin and turn toward Jesus. So let's talk a little bit about repentance. We need to know that repentance is a grace-filled action. It's a grace-filled action which involves a radical reorientation of life. It expresses sorrow. That's what cut them to the heart. They're expressing sorrow for having sinned against God. And while Peter doesn't pull any punches, he also doesn't shove it down their throats either because repentance in and of itself is not shame-driven. It is grace-driven. How else could they have repented if their hearts weren't softened? Repentance is a gift of grace. It is where Jesus meets you where you are with his grace so that you can turn to him. And it's at this point where, where Peter continues to encourage them in their repentance. So let's look at this. Brothers, what shall we do? This is verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter encourages them in their repentance by he continuing to preach to them, persuading more people with the exhortation of the gospel through this sermon. He's essentially saying this message is not just for you, it's for everyone. So go and preach this message as God has called you to himself, as you have turned to him in repentance. Go and tell everyone this message. He adds, save yourself from this crooked generation. The word this is immediate. He's saying right now, right now, turn to Jesus. Turn from the corruption of your flesh. Turn from the corruption of the world's idols. Turn away from Satan and surrender yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the result of this is that we see 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. What happens when the gospel is proclaimed faithfully is that people come and meet Jesus. And this is Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times. The one who locked eyes with Jesus as he denied him the third time. The one who received God's grace on the beach as Jesus restored him. And what was it that restored him? It was the grace of God for Peter. And so when Peter talks about repentance and this being a grace-filled action, he is speaking from experience, not just as an eyewitness. I saw this happen to someone. Peter is saying, I have experienced it because I walked with Jesus. And though you have done this, you can repent repent. 
and turn toward the Lord Jesus. See, the effect of the gospel, the, the effect of the gospel proclaimed is the grace of repentance. I'll say it again. The effect of the gospel is the grace of repentance. Turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus. It is not shame-driven. Once more, how else could they have repented if God had not softened their hearts? If God had not cut through with the message of his word? And finally, let's look at the gifts of the gospel. You see, in this message being proclaimed and and seeing its effects, the beauty is it doesn't end there. You see, in repentance, God meets us where we are with his grace by pouring out his grace onto us. Right? Peter doesn't stop and say, hey, repent. Once you do, you're cool. Deuces. See you guys next week. Peter says, as you repent, you'll be forgiven. Part of the grace that is poured out onto you is the forgiveness of your sin. That for the new Christian, that they experience redemption. That they are freed from their bondage to their sin. That they have been purchased by Jesus. You, the Christian who's been walking 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 2 years, you have been forgiven. If you belong to Jesus, you have been forgiven. Let that sit in for a little bit. It's going to be awkward. I'm kind of glad. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased. In repentance, not only did God meet you where you are with His grace, but He poured His grace out onto you. And it doesn't end there. Peter tells them that they would be forgiven. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Man, what happens when we repent? You get God. You get God himself. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That by the grace of God, we have been adopted into the family of God. And that seal is one of authenticity. No one can take that from you. No one. You have been sealed, Christian. Oh, it's not enough? Let's keep going. God the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He promised that he would be with us always. God the Holy Spirit dwells dwells in you. Jesus talks about this in John 14. There is another who is coming. He will dwell among you. He will help to teach you what I have said. In John 16, he goes on to talk about that the Spirit is our helper, our good counselor. He's going to help convict us of our sin. More? You can go to Romans 8. Romans 8 is the chapter in the Bible that speaks the most of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, resides in you. 
More? Okay. God, the Holy Spirit, gives you gifts. Some of you are like, yeah, let's talk about the gifts. Then go to a previous sermon series. That's not what we're diving into right now. But check it. Here's what I will say. God, the Holy Spirit, gives us gifts so that we would exalt Christ. He gives us gifts so that we would edify the church. He gives us gifts so that we would encourage others to look to Jesus. The gift of the gospel is forgiveness. It is God himself and is the beauty of baptism. See, baptism is a public proclamation of what Jesus has done for you internally. When you are baptized, you are telling everyone, this is what God has done for me. He has reconciled me to himself. He now dwells in me. Additionally, he has forgiven me, redeemed me, purchased me. That's why baptism is such a big deal. The result of repentance, so we've looked at the message, the proclamation of of the gospel. We've looked at uh, repentance as uh, a grace-filled gift. The result of repentance is communion with God himself. Communion with God himself. Here at Storehouse McAllen, on Sunday mornings, we will gather to celebrate the beauty and splendor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We may not do everything well because we're still growing up and we're still learning, but we will always preach Christ and Christ crucified. That is why we gather. Your role as you scatter As we scatter, your role, church, is to herald the gospel. Is to herald this message wherever you are. Do you know what a herald is? It is someone who has been not only commanded, but entrusted with a message to go into the cities, to go into the towns, to proclaim this message that was given to them by the king. You are called to herald This message, it is at the heart of what we do. We don't give good advice, we give good news. Right? We don't do, hey, 10 tips to live your best life now. We say, repent and turn to Jesus. Right? We don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does. And so we turn people to him. The method may be different. It may even be innovative and creative wherever it is that you are. But the message does not change. We're not not married to method. We're married to the message. Preach this message to yourself so that you would have your eyes ever toward the Lord Jesus. Ever toward the Lord Jesus. For the sake of comfort, for clarity, for conviction. Church, again, apart from the proclamation of the gospel, this is a show. This is a weekly event. This is a group, not a church. 
But what makes us the church is the proclamation of the beauty and splendor of Christ and Him crucified. So as we close, Christian, come before the Lord Jesus this morning. Confess your sin. I don't know what that is. Lay it on the table. Man, may we approach God this morning with the same kind of humility that the people listening to Peter do. What shall we do? Repent and turn to Jesus. And may he meet you where you are with his grace. Herald the gospel, for this is a message to be declared, delivered, and desired. Herald the gospel in the good times and in the rough ones. Herald the gospel. And if you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here with us. Really, man, it's an honor to have you. And apart from Jesus, you do not have eternal life nor a relationship with God. Yet, yet, in His grace and mercy, He has made a way possible for you to come and know Him through the Lord Jesus. What shall we do? Repent, and you will be forgiven of your sin, and you will receive God Himself. At the heart of the church, at the heart of the church, is the message and proclamation of Jesus and Him crucified. Let's pray. Father, according to your mercy, to your grace, please forgive us of our sin. God, would you cleanse us of our unrighteousness? Would you heal our hearts? Would you reconcile our hearts to one another? God, would you pour your Spirit upon us with a renewing grace? This morning, Lord, would you restore us to the joy of our salvation? Forgive us of our ingratitude. Forgive us of worshiping idols and trying to be God. Holy Spirit, make us a thankful people with passionate hearts for your gospel. Make us a people who drink from the well of your grace. The well of your grace that this broken world will taste. The new wine of the gospel through Jesus. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.